Welcome to Film Schools, what we learn when cinema goes to school, a Tez Scotland podcast, and to an unexpected bonus episode. Tez Scotland has been around since 1965, and there's little doubt about what was the strangest story we ever covered. The basic fact is this. In 1995, it transpired that a former senior pupil at Bearsden Academy on the outskirts of Glasgow had actually been a man in his 30s. Some of the supplementary and similarly headspinning facts are 1. He had attended the school before, when he actually was a teenager in the 1970s. None of the staff who remained from that time recognised him. 2. His plan was to get the qualifications he needed to go and study medicine at university and circumvent a rule which meant he would be deemed too old to apply if he used his actual age. 3. His enthusiastic participation in school life included taking the male lead in a production of South Pacific and going on a package holiday to Tenerife with three girls from his school. 4. When he enrolled at the school in 1993, he used the name Brandon Lee, which he shared with the son of legendary film star and martial arts exponent Bruce Lee. The other Brandon Lee had died a few weeks previously after a tragic accident on the set of a film called The Crow, about a man who is murdered but comes back from the dead to seek vengeance on his killers. The Bears Den Brandon Lee's real name was Brian McKinnon. 5. One of Brandon stroke Brian's schoolmates, John McLeod, has gone on to become a documentary filmmaker. Today, My Old School, his film about Brandon Lee and the impact he had on the staff and students around him, is released in UK cinemas, starring the likes of Alan Cumming, Lulu and Claire Grogan. And I'm absolutely delighted to say that our guest on today's episode is the very same John McLeod. Can we just begin with your name? Uh, you would have known me as Brandon Lee. Police found that Lee had two passports. People thought he might be a spy. And that was when he said, My name isn't Brandon Lee, and I'm not who you think I am. It was an obsession. If you really want to prevail, you have to do the unimaginable. Thanks for coming on to chat, Jono. It's an absolutely terrific film and really hope it gets as wide an audience as possible. But I was wondering if, first of all, we could maybe just rewind a few decades and ask you what you were doing yourself in 1995. I mean, in 1995, when kind of the, the subject, the story of this film kind of broke, um, I was, uh, it was my first week of broadcast journalism school. And uh, it was kind of, <laughs> it wasn't ideal to be the kid in journalism class, the new kid who hadn't noticed Scotland's <laughs> biggest story was happening in his high school. So it wasn't, it wasn't the most kind of a brilliant start to my, to my studies. But did did yeah. you just keep quiet about your connection to the school? <laughs> it was too, no, by that point, I mean, you're kind of, I was, you're already at that point, you're mildly dining out on, uh, on the story. So I must've let it slip and then you couldn't get the cat back in the bag. Yeah. And I think, yeah, so Brandon Lee, as he was known to you originally, um, started at, the school in 1993. Can you remember when you first saw him and what your immediate reaction was? Yeah, so I I was 15 years old when he walked into my classroom. It was my registration class, Modern Studies Annex, Bearsden Academy. Um, and yeah, he the door opened and there was this <laughs> new pupil who looked very different to the rest of us. Uh, and even in how he presented as a pupil, you know, he had, a, he had the blazer, he had the tie, he looked, he was like the ideal, he was like Bearsden Academy's ideal pupil. Was anyone else wearing a blazer in that classroom? 
No, we were wearing sports jackets or, you know, you'd have an Umbro or, you know, there was whatever cool, you know, uh, brands you could manage to sneak away with and get in. Uh, and you know, you had a prop, you had like a sports school bag. I remember for some reason I had like a neon pink one. I don't know what I was trying to <laughs> get away with there, but I wasn't. And, um, and Brandon, uh, he had a little briefcase. He had a briefcase, a blazer and a tie and big head of curly hair, glasses, and this strange accent that we couldn't quite place, mm. but we soon found out was uh, from Canada. Mm. And, and at what point did you and your friends start thinking that, you know, things are not all as they seem? Was it straight away or was it a bit further well, down He arrived with a, there was a tragic backstory. Mm. You know, he'd been, he'd travelled the world with his mum. She was an opera singer and he'd been privately tutored while they toured the world. His mum was separated from his father, who was a professor of zoology in London. And, um... Uh, Brandon had been in a car crash with his mum and his mum had died and um, and the, the, there'd been a fire as part of that crash and it had burned his, burned his face and so he'd had to, you know, some element of reconstructive surgery on his face. So we knew that there was this, this terrible tragedy had happened to him and, you know, as a whole, as Bears Den kids, on the whole, we were quite nice, polite little kids and you're not going to really question things further beyond that if this poor guy has been through, been through all that. There then ensues, and uh, as you saw lay out in the film, a, a whole series of bizarre episodes. I just wonder, from your point of view, is there one particular memory about Brandon that sticks in the memory? I mean, yeah, gosh, I hope people watch the film and then listen to this podcast. That would be my, that would be what I'd beg because the best way to see this film was to go in and, and know as little as possible. But I mean, I think for me, you know, the thing that I, we always knew, the most famous thing about what Brandon did in his time at school with us is that he took one of the lead roles in our school production mm-hmm. of South Pacific. He played um, Lieutenant Cable um, and his big song to sing for us all was Younger Than Springtime, mm-hmm. Am I? Um, and yeah, that was <laughs> when we found out later, that was pretty mind blowing that he'd made this decision to not only agree to star in a musical, but to take that part and to sing that song and to, to do that. It's pretty yeah, wild. Very much hiding in plain sight. And, yeah. Uh, and what were you doing when the news broke that, you know, Brandon Lee was actually Brian McKinnon? I remember I was in the Channel Islands. My sister was living in Jersey at that time. I was visiting her. And we'd all heard a couple of weeks before. But like, I have to say, like, it wasn't like the news didn't go around like it was the top story. I remember my friend Ross phoning me and then um, he called me up and he was like, oh my God, John, you'll never guess what happened. And I was like, oh my God, what? And he was like, Carol got off with that weird guy at the park the other night. Mm. And I'm like, oh my God, that's shocking. And he's like, oh, and by the way, Brandon Lee's a 32-year-old man. <laughs> and we're all going to the garage on Saturday night, do you want to come? And it was like, that was, that was how yeah. this, the news was delivered. So we didn't really realise it was a big deal until, um, you know, I didn't realise how big a deal it was until I, I remember waking up on my sister's sofa bed, the big breakfast was on. And, you know, Gabby Roslin is reading the, the newspapers and telling the story of this um, 32-year-old schoolboy called Brandon. And you think, oh, <laughs> this is bigger than I thought. <laughs> this is more important than Carol snogging that guy. Now, we're going to take a slight pause in the interview to give you a sense of just how big a story this was at the time. You'll hear from three people. Hugh Doherty, who was the press officer responsible for education at Strathclyde Regional Council and whose office came under siege from the media. Barry Stansfield, who was a teacher at the school when the story broke. And finally, Paul Hamilton, who was a 12-year-old pupil at Bears Dead Academy at the time, but is now a secondary teacher. It was very quiet, I was just getting ready to go home. 
when Leslie Anderson of BBC Reports in Scotland phoned and said the famous words, Good, you know you've got a 32-year-old masquerading as a pupil in Thursday. Staff are absolutely shattered mm-hmm. that they had not spotted them. Mm-hmm. Because as we know, teachers always pride themselves to really knowing their pupils. Mm-hmm. We had about 100 press outside. Now, in those days, papers could throw resources mm-hmm. at a story like this. Mm-hmm. Papers were big business. Mm-hmm. The record had about 15 reporters out there really? offering the kids a tenor if they told mm-hmm. the true story. And of this course, is, this is a hundred boys at the school. At the school, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a hundred. Yeah, um, TV International Press Association was there. It had become an international story. I knew that that night, um, the press today actually we tried to insert a few people into one of our schools. There was no email. Yeah. There was no. There was no point. We actually had a fax in place, so we faxed every second to say, "Watch out for this." Now there was an attempt to get a guy into Bannerman High mm-hmm. in Glasgow. Immediately spotted them. I'll explain. But he got into Hutchie Grammar, the private the same school, guy. Yeah. and he got a free school lunch. Okay. And he appeared in the record the next day with his paper. You know, I have his piece. And how old was he in reality? He was twenty-eight. The head teacher Norman McLeod um, had invited all staff down to the assembly hall at the end of one of the school days, and Norman explained why we were there. First of all, he, he, he said, you'll have noticed uh, a large structure in the school grounds. And that's actually a kind of camera mast, which belongs to NBC. The thing that made me realise instantly that this was big news was when I saw uh, this CNN logo outside the school. Um, that was that was just quite unbelievable. And there was a, a sort of a Rami Melly sort of thing whereby uh, reporters were just desperate to get access into the school grounds, speak to pupils, probably nab a teacher coming out of their car. And, uh, you know, it's all quite jovial now thinking back as a pupil because it's the same mentality. When there's a fight in the playground, everyone kind of rushes towards it and there's this excitement. Now as a teacher, I can (laughs) see the opposite, horrific side of that. You know, you don't want everyone um, (laughs) congregating and crowding around like that, probably. When it did dawn on you, what big deal it was uh, and how much media attention it was getting. How did, how did the pupils react then? I mean, I, was, so I wasn't, obviously I wasn't there and I was away at journalism college. So everybody, everybody was kind of scattered. I felt for the kids, so one girl in particular from our film, Nicola, um, she's a girl, she starred in the school musical with him. She went on vacation with him um, and she was the sitting duck because she was a year younger than us. Um, so she would have been 14 when Brandon arrived at school. Um, and she, every, and she's one of the girls in the famous, there's an iconic photograph basically of Brandon Lee in school uniform with his big curly hair and two girls either side of him. Now they're both his co-stars from South Pacific. That's the photograph taken to promote them in the, in the, in the musical. And yeah, both those girls take part in our film. Um, but Nicola was a sitting duck because she was left to, to deal with all the press descending mm-hmm. A on the school and B on her house. So, you know, they were chasing her brother up the road. They were harassing her mum and dad. She was she had her UCAS form in to apply to multiple journalism courses and then immediately withdrew them because she'd had such a horrible time. So Brandon coming to our school, you know, we, we talk in the film about the positive impact he had on some of the pupils. For Nicola, he completely changed her life because she was all set to become a journalist and then that didn't happen. Yeah. So you can't do something as massive as what Brandon did at our school and not have a butterfly effect and change people's lives. And so some people's lives have changed for the better. And who knows, you know, maybe, maybe it's better that Nicola didn't become a journalist, mm-hmm. but I think she'd have been a blooming good one. Uh, so, yeah. And, and what, what do you know about the impact it had on the teachers? 
they, I know there was certainly speaking to, to some people who were sort of there at the time, there was a bit of, bit of sense of a shame, you know, shame that they hadn't clocked that this guy had been there all these years before and hadn't sort of spotted straight away that there was something fishy. Yeah, it's very different. Um, it was very different for the pupils than it would have been for the teachers. I'm totally aware of that. And it's easier for us now as, as pupils to get back together and have a laugh about it. So I totally take my hat off to the teachers who did agree to take part in the film. Um, many teachers did not want to take part in the film. Um, and that's okay. I totally understand that. Um, it's partly because some of them didn't have that many memories of, you know, he, that's the thing. If you didn't, if you weren't friends with Brandon, like I don't, I don't have masses of memories of Brandon at school because I'm not from Bears Den. I was one of the bust in kids. You know, I was taking advantage of the Thatcher's policy that allowed kids to, to choose their catchment area. I was coming in from Clyde Bank. So was Nicola. Um, so I didn't have the social life that everybody else had with Brandon. So that's why I wasn't, until I made this film, I didn't know a lot of these stories. Um, and so I think for the teachers, um, they were maybe out of the loop in that element as well. And they possibly just thought that Brandon came in and kept his head down and, mm-hmm. and didn't interact with people that much. But they would have known that he did the school musical. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was going to ask you, it's quite noticeable that there's far more former pupils than teachers interviewed. And I wondered if you, you had approached a lot of teachers um, and... And, yeah, and I mean, I mean, the 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 thing was, um, the local council uh, weren't overly helpful mm-hmm. in terms of um, they didn't want to um, help me to track anyone down, and uh, and I find that so strange. I mean, like Brandon Lee is not the worst scandal to happen at Bearsden Academy. Mm-hmm. I won't say any more than that, but have a Google. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Like. Like this, so so hats off to the, the teachers who I did manage to track mm. down. I did, I, and, and I did reach out to others, and some were kind of humming, hawing about whether to do it. But I think there was an overall, certainly for some of the classmates as well, a lot of people were worried that I was making this dark, sinister yeah. expose of 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 this story, and and that's absolutely not what I wanted to do. No. And you know, one of the one of the teachers who just pulled out at the last minute, she was like, "It's just, I just don't want to be made a fool of, kind of thing." And um, and I don't think that's what, I don't think that's what the film does um, to, to to anyone. We tr- we try and tell the stories kind of warmly and with as much heart as possible. It absolutely doesn't, um, but you can understand why people might be a bit um, nervous about taking part. But yeah. I mean, the other slightly strange thing is that actually the local authority that's responsible for Bearsden Academy now didn't exist back in the time. It was, you know, there was reorganisation of local authorities soon after that. So, um, so you know. My, one of my, fr- my, my friend James is a teacher at a school in Dumbarton and um, I, he messaged me the other day to say that the, the, the Glasgow, um, is it Glasgow City Council Schools or something? What's the, what's the authority? Um, the, uh, Bearsden is, uh, oh, it's, no, it's, uh, but, the, but it's for Glasgow itself, yeah, oh, they're Glasgow, Barnshire, yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. but um, he says on all, on all their computers in the school, this, the movie is the, is the, is the homepage on the computer, <laughs> so they're actively advertising it to everyone and I, I can see the, the teaching unions and stuff in Scotland are tweeting yeah. about it and stuff, so. I love that teachers are getting behind it because it's yeah. not, it's not a horror story of teaching. It's no. just, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a funny story of some teachers being duped by this um, yeah. incredible person who manages mm-hmm. to pull off this amazing hoax. At what point was it you thought, um, you know, you've become a filmmaker. Um, at what point do you decide to make a film about it? And why did you make that decision? I would, um, I would go to like, there's a Sheffield documentary festival that, um, uh, every year and I would go to that because my background is television documentary now and so every year you'd go and there'd be quite a division between the TV documentary people and the, and the feature film documentary people I'd always look over enviously and go gosh I'd love to make a feature at some point and uh, one of my producers who I work with quite a lot Olivia Lichtenstein 
she'd always told me, you know, your school story, that's your feature. Um, and so, yeah, one, one day we'd been talking about what I was going to do next and it happened to coincide with, you know, Brandon published one of his memoirs. He's, he's published uh, three memoirs now. Um, and yeah, I reached out to him. He had an approach from, he'd had approaches from multiple film filmmakers at this point. And I was the first one that was from this, that was there at the time. And I was also the first one to not shy away from his stipulation that he didn't want to be on camera. Mm-hmm. I think, I think the other filmmakers were desperately trying to cajole him because like I, I had meetings with big, big streamers when I was trying to get this film made who um, told me that, I, that there is no film. If you can't get him to be on mm-hmm. camera, then you can't make a film. And I knew that there'd been a film 12 years ago by an amazing director called Clio Bernard. Um, and that film was called The Arbor. It tells the story of mm-hmm. Andrew Dunbar, the writer mm-hmm. of Rita Sue and Bob Two. And it really successfully used his lip sync with multiple actors to tell that story. So I immediately, when, when Brandon had the stipulation that he didn't want to be on camera, I immediately thought of Clio's film. Um, and it's quite sweet actually, because we've just, we've opened in an American cinemas uh, a couple of weeks ago and we opened the same week as Clio's new film, oh, um, wow. Ali and Ava. So we're out there kind of trying Brilliant. to get people back into the cinemas together. And it's, it's pure, like a, this film wouldn't exist if Clio hadn't made that film and I'd been inspired by her. So in a way she was my kind of, teacher. I don't know her. I've never met her or spoken to her, but she kind of led the way for me to make this film. It really turns it into a strength. I think the way you do it, for, for those who don't know, you've got Brandon Stroke Brown's voice, but uh, he's played by Alan Cumming. Um, so how crucial was Brian, Brandon's participation? If you hadn't got him to be interviewed, do you think you could have still made the film? You could probably made the film, but I don't think, I think that, you know, a certain amount of the strength would be gone from it. I mean, albeit, you know, there's only so much you can rely on your unreliable narrator. Do you know what I mean? Like in a way, I would probably have rather made the film without Brandon than made the film only with Brandon, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Like I don't think his version of events is the one that I exclusively wanted to tell. I think there's much more uh, interest um, in digging through what everybody else remembers of him. And so in a way, while the film is about what Brandon did, it's not so much about Brandon as it is about, um, I think it's a kind of portrait of a high school class, a moment in time and, and the impact that someone can have um, when, they, when they do something out of the ordinary mm. Lewis. Another thing that's really interesting about it, I think, is that you've, you've talked to lots of people who are there and yet they're still making sense of what happened. They're still a bit of confusion over the chronology of events and what exactly happened when, um, because there was this sort of very elaborate web of deceit um, out there. And how hard was it to pick apart what actually happened? Like it's difficult. Even now I'm still trying to deal with things that were wrong in the coverage back then. So at the moment, the thing, there's a lot of reviews and stuff coming out that's talking about Brandon coming back as a 17 year old boy. And I'm like, he wasn't, he was coming back as a 16 year old boy. And it's quite, it's quite a big difference, you know, like I was 15 when he walked into my classroom. So he was presenting as I was, I was about to turn 16 a few months later, but you know, um, so, and that's just because back when the story broke, everyone thought it had just happened and it hadn't, you know, he'd been off at university for a chunk of the year and we'd finished another year at school before he was found out. He spent two years as Brandon Lee, one year at the high school and he went off to Dundee university and then dropped out after a few months to, to defer, to start you know, the following year when we were all going to start. So even now, like there's things that are wrong with that part of the story. And, you know, we deal with that in the film, you know, this confusion over how he was actually kind of found out and that there was, there was a bit more, there was a, you know, it wasn't the story that was presented in the news mm. at the time. So the, the, you can't tell a story. You can't, 
dig back into a story with, that's based on as many lies as Brandon brought to the table and as many falsehoods as the press then brought to the table to try and then pick through that and find the actual truth. Like this film is not the, the actual, the, the full truth because I, I'll never be able to get to that. This is just as close as 30 classmates and their teachers can get to by all putting our heads together and trying to make this jigsaw puzzle vaguely <laughs> make sense. And, and did your own perception of events change in the course of making the film? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I, because as I say, because I wasn't from the town, I didn't have that social interaction with mm. Brandon at school or outside of school. Um, I didn't know a lot of the stuff. So I came to the interview with Brandon completely influenced by the fact that the only person who'd really been telling the story all these years was, was the man himself. You know, he'd done the Chacho circuit, as we see in the film, he'd written these memoirs, he had done multiple newspaper interviews. Um, and so I think that's, and that's where I came from. You know, I went into it thinking, you know, my, my initial take was, oh my gosh, this poor guy, he came back, he did this thing. He only wanted to further his studies. Um, he, you know, he, he kept his head down. He didn't really interact with us. I, he didn't interact with me, but what I didn't know was that, that, you know, that wasn't the case. And it was only after interviewing Brandon and he only gave that one interview. I didn't interview him again after that. Um, you know, once I started to speak to all my classmates and stuff, I was like, oh gosh, he was doing a lot more than studying at school. You know, <laughs> there was 10 pin bowling and discos and yeah. parties. And, you know, it was, it was, there was a lot. It was, I mean, that's the thing. So his high school experience was so much better than mine. He had, such, <laughs> he had a much nicer time than I did. Yeah. And so it's almost like I've made this film in some kind of weird fit of jealousy that, um, that this guy came back and aced it in a way that yeah. I, I wasn't able to back then. And there are some key events that, that you know, that, when you're sort of watching the, the, your interviewees, uh, your former classmates, former schoolmates, that um, people remember in quite different ways to actually how they panned out. Um, and there's one, I won't give it away if people are coming to this podcast before having seen the film, but there's one near the end where um, one of the, uh, his co-stars in South Pacific has a particular memory of, a, of a, an episode on stage that she then sees some, some footage of the production and it's, it's quite different. It almost becomes a bit of a film about memory, it seems, at, at times. Yeah, and just um, the, the the collective memory, I guess, because that's not just that that footage that we find. It doesn't just pull the rug from under one person. It's everyone. Everyone believes that this the performance of South Pacific played out in a certain way, and it turns out it didn't. Um, so yeah, it's 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 strange how. Um, I mean, and that's the thing. That's why we had to make the film now because we're getting older. Our memories are going. What was amazing was connecting with everyone, and and like, I I would have I would have said to you. Six years ago, before I started this process, I would have said that I don't have any memories of high school other than maybe getting punched on the last <laughs> stairs um, by, by one of the guys in the film, actually. Um, but uh, the, apart from that, I didn't have any memories. But then the simple process of reconnecting with everyone and um, suddenly you're in a room, especially you're in, a, you're in a, the classroom that we rebuilt. You know, we found an old school and we rebuilt our high school classrooms with the little, little desks and and, and we kind of tried to capture that sort of falling apart <laughs> kind of, uh, sort of design that was in Bearsden Academy at the time. Um, and just that moment of being placed into a high school desk and, and, and chatting with your, your high school classmates again, it was very, very strange. There was a, there was a brilliant moment when I was interviewing uh, one of my friends, Adnan, and uh, we finished his interview at the little school desk and one of the, the runners on set came up and was like, Oh, John Adnan, Mr. Gunn, the physics teacher's downstairs and he wants to see you right now. <laughs> and so these, these two 42 year old men were like giggling down a high school corridor as they got sent to, to see the head of physics. 
it was it was very bizarre. And uh, this is Mr. Gunn who features in the film, so he, yes, he was your next yes. interview. Yeah, 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 he's 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 good value. He's he's. Uh, and he's so he's one of the key, he's a great teacher for us to get because he was there in the 1970s for for Brandon first time around. So yeah, it was um that was really that was really cool for him to, of him to step forward and, and have a sense of humor about it, um, which is great. And it's uh, uh, were you in touch with many of the, the people they interviewed, or had you were you for a lot of them were you speaking to them for, for the first time since you'd been at school? Yeah, it was super awkward like reaching mm. out to people because I hadn't kept in touch with anyone. Yeah. You know, I was a, I was like part of my whole thing about why I didn't notice there was a 32 year old man in my class was that I was a 16 year old 15 16 year old gay kid who was desperately trying not to have anybody take any notice of that fact failing a lot of the time um and I you know I was just trying to fly under the radar I was like a little ghost floating around the corridors so um that's my excuse for 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 why I didn't um notice that so but, but yeah in terms of then reaching out to everyone it was kind of daunting because you're immediately thrown back to your childhood self um, and you know, and some people were like totally positive, you know, like the first person I approached was Nicola, who's the girl from the musical and the, and the vacation. Um, and she, you know, once I had knew I had her on board and I knew I could kind of get there next up was, was Val, the girl from the musical. Um, and, but then along that, along the way, there was, uh, there was old classmates who told me where to go and shove it, that I shouldn't be making this film, that this is, you know, they were obviously worried that, that, you know, I was going to make this dark or this, you know, expose, or I was going to you know, not tell it in a sensitive way, but that's the thing about being um, a 15-year-old gay kid at school. It makes you super sensitive. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I have pained my way through the process of making this film. It's been excruciating at points. And so like my classmate Gregor, who, um, you know, everybody's going on and doing these jobs now, but Gregor is, as well as being in the film and being my classmate, he's my PR guy. So um, he, um, you know, like he's been my, not just PR guy, but my P stands for psychiatrist because he's, you know, this it's, it was really, really challenging at points um, for me to feel like I was doing the right thing by everyone in the film. And um, it's, it's the, that, the beauty of reconnecting with, with like Gregor and Nicola was that they were there to kind of keep, st stand me back up and tell me that, you know, I was, we were on the right track and we needed, this was a story that, that needed to be shared and, and, and that I was doing it in the right way. So that was really special. It is really sensitively handled, uh, I think. And, you know, you've not made Brian Brandon into a figure of ridicule. I mean, how important was that to you to listen to what you had to say at face value, not prejudge the story, not turn him into a two-dimensional figure? Yeah, really important because I hung out with the guy, you know, for quite a bit before. We didn't just record the interview, you know, we'd go for lunches, we'd go for big walks. I didn't, I wanted to be at ease with him because I didn't know, I didn't know Brian McKinnon. I'd never met him. I'd only ever met Brandon Lee and, and barely that. So, um, you know, and he presents as a really quite regular, affable guy. I mean, he does talk at a, a level that sometimes I quite f I found hard to grasp onto. You know, his vocabulary and stuff was um, kind of higher. His IQ, as he states in the film, you know, he's got this really high IQ and, you know, um, and so that's how he presents. And so some, it, was some, it was quite hard. You know, obviously in the, in the film I edited down and I try and make it, I wanted to make a film as broadly um, kind of accessible to everyone as possible. So there's certain elements of, 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 of his version of events that we don't go into in the film. But um, uh, yeah, no, I, I just wanted to present him as we all encountered him and as we, for the most part, we all remember him, which is with a certain fondness. And I guess an admiration for, for what he managed to pull off. He's almost like this kind of folk hero, <laughs> albeit someone who made these, who made quite 
glaring errors along the way in terms of the situations that he placed himself into. And I wanted to hold him accountable where we could on, on for, for some of those. So it was a real kind of line to walk in terms of being, um, you know, in terms of how I portrayed him and, and also how I portrayed the impact that he had on everyone else. Mm. I mean, I think in the end, he cuts quite the sad figure. You get a sense he's not moved on. He maybe even still harbours ambitions to go and do this medical degree. There was the whole reason for, for going back to school. Um, but the really nice juxtaposition is that everyone else has moved on. I don't, I'm not going to say too much about the ending, but mm. you do, it's, it's quite a joyous um, conclusion where you see where everyone else has ended up and how they've embraced life and the opportunities it offers. Did you always plan to end the film that way? I mean, I was always aware that because, I mean, that's the, 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 the thing about going to Bears Den Academy is that it gave us, it afforded us, uh, many of us, the opportunity to go off and do things that, um, you know, perhaps kids in, in other schools, those opportunities may perhaps didn't present themselves. You know, I'm very aware, you know, I was supposed to go to Claybank High and I'm sure there's loads of kids from Claybank High who, who went on and did amazing things, but I was a soft kid and, you know, I barely made it through Bears Den Academy. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, you know, I was always aware that, um, you know, the, <laughs> one of my classmates was a cage fighter and one was a DJ and one was a potter and one was a, and I wanted to show, I guess what I wanted to show with that montage at the end where we reveal what everyone's up to these days is that all those jobs that we see them doing, none of us were sat there age 16 thinking that that's the job I'm going to be doing when I'm in my 40s. But life presents you with um, paths and challenges and, you know, certain avenues that aren't open to you and others then do open. And you have to be willing to, to, to travel forward all the time. If you try and go back in time, so I mean, I always fall back into the high school movie references, but it's like Back to the Future. If you go back in time and try to change things from the past, you can get stuck and mm -hmm. you have to be careful. So in a way, that's almost what seems to have happened to, to our old classmate. Mm. And to me, it's, you've painted a very positive depiction of school and school life. Everyone seems to look back, you know, there's the usual ups and downs of being a teenager, but everyone seems to look back fondly in their time at Pearson Academy, which I agree. Uh, no, I know I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree. <laughs> Um, because, you know, at the heart of the film, we've got Stephen who had a, a, a terrible time at of school. Of course, yeah, there are exceptions. And, there are yeah, exceptions. And, yeah, and he's yeah. not the exception because I, I did too. I mean, but not as extreme as Stephen did, but, you know, I got, you know, battered for being an effeminate kid and try, trying to contain that, trying not to be, to be seen to be gay. Um, and, you know, and then and it's not in the film, but actually the big reveal for me in, in, in reconnecting with my high school classmates is how creepy school was for girls back then. Yes, yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I won't say more, but creepy teachers and just creepiness all around. I, as a, as a, as a boy, and especially as a gay boy, I had zero uh, comprehension of that. But now to speak to them now and to think, gosh, what that was like back then, I hope to goodness it's different these days. But um, I didn't really have an understanding of that. So I can't, so no, I can't sit here and say, wow, Bearsden Academy was this, was this joyous, wonderful um, place and time back then. I didn't want to necessarily depict it that way. But, you know, we've all got fondness for our school days, but um, to some extent, but, but, but some of us more than others. Maybe, maybe that's more what I was getting at, that, uh, you know, with the passage of time, there's a certain sort of nostalgic veneer that, mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that takes on your, your, your memories of school and uh, maybe the, the, the more distance that passes between the, you know, the actual reality of it and... Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what I'm doing with the animation, really, and 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 aping that style of of MTV's Daria, the, you know, the 1990s high school icon. Um, I kind of wanted it to have that. You know, I'd, what's the point in making a 
film about this that's dark and, and why, why bring more darkness into the world? Why not bring a bit of light and joy and try and tell a story in a sweet, fond way? Um, because there's enough, there's enough films out there to watch where you can see horrible things happening. Yeah, there's a nice message about, you know, whatever ups and downs you face, you know, most of the people in the film seem to have got to a pretty happy place by the end. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And yeah, life's about moving forward. And you got to watch the film uh, a couple of years ago in Glasgow with a big crowd. How was that? Were there any reactions that surprised you or particularly pleased you? I, well, actually the, the, the Glasgow, so the screening we did at the Glasgow Film Festival back in March, that was a kind of, I got to sit through that one and that was really special. Um, just the, just the, um, the, the, the crowd go a bit wild for it, especially the Glasgow crowd. You know, I'm very, it's very, it's a Scottish high school movie, you know, it's in the, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely doffing my cap to Bill Forsyth and I, you know, like in, in, in the way that I just wanted to make something that, um, that reaches a wide audience that has heart, that has warmth and, um, and has comedy in it, you know, and, and I'm aware that at the heart of this story is, is this, you know, a story of somebody not achieving what they wanted to in life. But kind of what I want to impart on, on Brandon, especially actually, is that he does have a great achievement in his life. He's Scotland's most fantastic hoaxer. <laughs> and that's, that's surely that has to be more fun than being a born old doctor. Do you know what I mean? Like, like there's more, there's, there's, there, that's more amazing, more incredible, more impressive. And I think that's what we're all doing in the film and marveling and joking about is that, is that we know at its heart, this is a, a story about somebody achieving a great success, even if it might present as a, as a failure to him. And, and do you think Brandon sees it that way at all? No, I suspect he doesn't. I guess I know he doesn't. Um, but maybe I'd love, I'd love for him. I know he's, he's, uh, he has apparently expressed that he doesn't want to see the film, but I'd love, I'd love it if he snuck in and, and kind of, and, and got to see that, you know, he did have a, a positive impact on some people. I just, I don't know, maybe he doesn't care about that. Mm -hmm. Maybe he just cares about himself. I don't, I hope not. Um, I hope that Stephen's memories of Brandon Lee have, are, are actually of, of the real person and not mm -hmm. of a, not of a fictional character. Yeah. I mean, Stephen, as you say, has, has a real fondness for his friendship that he had with Brandon. Um, yeah, well, but let us know if if he, if he does make it to screen. I would love to hear what he thinks of it. Um, I don't think I'll know if he does. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, who, I mean, you know, it's so strange, isn't it? If somebody made a movie about you, would you go and see it? That's the question. Yeah, <laughs> you think most people would. And you, and have you? Is this you done? You know, you've, it's a depiction of school life. You say it's it's, it's a Scottish high school film. Is that you? done that now is your next project something else entirely or is it a sort of area you'd want to explore oh my again gosh. my next my next project is in the world of fiction there's no way i can't you know my classmates will tell you i don't think i'll survive another documentary production <laughs> uh, that's for sure I'm, I'm it's been on the edge with this one so um i'd love i'd, I'd love my next project to be a, a a story that you know has the same sort of warmth and fun and and, and bitter sweetness that we've tried to caption it's my favorite movies do you know my favorite movie is an Australian film called Muriel's Wedding, which is also oh, a, fa a, a fantasist who creates a, a, a different life for herself and tells terrible lies and, is ter and, and does, you know, bad things, but at, at their heart is a good person. And, and that's, that's the movie that I always kind of think of and nod to and want, and want to, would love to, to capture something as, as beautiful and perfect as that. I doubt I ever will, but I could, I could have fun trying. Absolutely brilliant film. And we've, we've just actually been doing a few podcasts over the summer where we talked to, to teachers about their favourite films set in schools. Have you, got, have you got one that comes to mind? I mean, I've, I've, so I've obviously with this film, I'm absolutely nodding to the high school genre. So, it's, so I've got, we've got Lulu, you know, once a pupil into Sir With Love and now, now she's our deputy headmistress and she's singing her title song. 
Um, you know, and that's a fantastic movie, you know, very much of that era. It's hard not to, not to jump to Gregory's Girl. You know, we've got Claire Grogan plays our English teacher. Um, and, and Alan is star of Romy and Michelle, you know, a movie about two, two women who go back and create new personas to go back to their old high school. Um, so, oh gosh, if I had to pick an absolute favorite, it has to be Gregory's Girl. It just has to, because there's not, and, and there's a lot of Brandon and there's a lot of um, Gregory in Brandon, actually. I, I kind of, that, that famous scene of the, of the teachers gathered in the, in the, in the staff room, looking out the window, all killing themselves, laughing at this gangly kid making <laughs> yes. his way across the playground. I love that scene. And I can totally imagine that happening in Bearsden Academy back in 90. Absolutely. That hadn't occurred to me at all, but now you mentioned it, there really is a parallel there. <laughs> and uh, just finally, um, if you were to make a add to the genre, make a film um, set in high school, is that something you could see ever happening? I mean, this is it. This is this is my high school movie. Do you know what I mean? I don't think I can make a, 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 a you know, I'm not going to make a high school movie that's going to get into Sundance again. I know when to when to stick or twist. So I'm going to I'm going to stick and tell people that that, that you know I, this isn't. I don't know. I know where this gets marketed as a stranger than fiction uh, documentary, and I, I, and it is to some extent. But for me, at its heart, this is a high school movie, and 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 I want people to experience it in in that way. Well, it's been absolutely great talking about your film, Joy. It's an absolutely fantastic watch. I really hope it does well and finds a big audience. And thanks a million for taking the time to tell us all about it. Thank you so much. Today's episode of the Tez Scotland podcast was written and hosted by Henry Hepburn. If you enjoyed the episode, there's more Tez coverage available on our website. And for a limited time only, you can get three months access to our new digital magazine for just £3. That will get you anytime, anywhere access to read all of the latest education news, research and analysis. As much as you want, all in one place. Head over to tez.com forward slash store forward slash tez dash discount to get yours. 